0: I recollect, we got about halfway through Ezekiel 20 last time. So what's been happening in Ezekiel 20 is the elders of Israel in exile, in Babylon, have come to Ezekiel to inquire the Lord. And God says, no way, you folks have not followed my covenants, you have broken every one of my commandments, and now you come and inquire with me, it just isn't gonna happen. So in Ezekiel twenty thirty-two, which is where we ended last time, what is in your mind shall never happen. The thought, let us be like the nations, like the tribes of the countries, and worship wood and stone. So what God is saying is what you guys want to have happen is not going to happen. Let's go on in 20, because there's a bunch of stuff to say about it. So I'm now down to verse 33. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and with wrath poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, And there I will enter into judgment with you face to face, as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness in the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel then you will know that I am the Lord. Obviously, he's referring back to the generation of the wilderness that didn't trust him. And because of the sin of the spies and the panic that the spies caused, that generation wandered 40 years in the wilderness, and that generation did not go into the land. So what he's saying here is several things. Thing one is, I have a covenant with you folks. And the fact that you are chafing under the covenant and you want to be like everybody else, too bad. We have a covenant and I am going to enforce that covenant. I will bring you all out from where you have been scattered. Good, the bad, the righteous, everybody will come out into the wilderness. And when he says, I will make you pass under the rod... That is a shepherd's term. You remember from the Torah, when a shepherd is deciding what to tithe, he passes his flock under the rod, and every tenth one that passes under the rod belongs to God. Good, bad, indifferent. Just every tenth one belongs to God. So this expression, I will make you pass under the rod, is by way of saying, you are my sheep, And I will make you pass under the rod, and I will count you, and I will be king over you. And then finally, the thing that I find fairly chilling, quite frankly, is he will bring all of the descendants of Israel out into the wilderness, where he will enter into judgment with them face to face. Not everybody is leaving the wilderness and going into the land. We tend to think of the last days, and this is last days kind of stuff, where he goes out and gathers his people from all the places where they've been scattered. That gets talked about in several prophets. Deuteronomy says it, Isaiah says it, Jeremiah says it, that I will go gather everybody. And the impression that you get in all of those other prophets is when he finally brings them in, gathers them together, he's going to change their hearts. He is going to become their God and they will be his people, i.e. New Covenant territory. And everybody at that point goes into the land. This is different. And I don't know entirely what to make of it. Because what he says is, in verse 38, I will purge out the rebels from among you. And those who transgress against me, I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. There's no way that folks are going to get unchosen. They are the chosen people. They are in covenant with God. And there's no way out of that. But it appears that this regathering is... Going to separate sheep from goats, and the sheep are going into the land, and the goats aren't. I have no idea what's going to happen with the goats, but this particular passage in Ezekiel is qualitatively different from the other final gathering passages. So on to verse 39. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you his idols, now and hereafter if you will not listen to me, but my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols." So what's obviously happening here is, Israel is still following the form of worship. They're out there serving idols, but they are coming to church on Sunday. And what God says is, sorry, but I'm going to bust up your little church because by coming to church on Sunday when you are in fact worshipping idols what you're doing is calling my name into disrepute and quite frankly I think that's one of the things that's going on right now with this COVID mess and so many churches being shut down the idea that these folks have the form of godliness but they're not doing what God would have them do. They're not tending the flock and so forth. And so what has happened is those churches have been shut down. In fact, I was reading Doug Wilson, and he was talking about one of the big things in the Sunday church is Romans 13, the idea that the magistrate has some authority because the magistrate is also from God and so forth. And... One of the things that Wilson was saying, and apparently they have not closed down and they don't wear masks either. But one of the things he said is big church in Southern California refused to shut down and refused to follow all the stuff. And so California went after them with sharp sticks. And they have just won an $800,000 judgment against the state for unjust interfering with worship. And the thing that guy up in Idaho said is for all of you who were jumping all over MacArthur for not following Romans 13, the state has come out and said we weren't following Romans 13 either. And y'all owe him an apology. Wilson's perspective is that this whole COVID mess has been a play against the church. One of the things it's done is shut down worship and shut down the church and all that kind of stuff. And of course, theoretically, the church is one of the bulwarks against government tyranny. So this faking everybody into shutting down, his comment is they want to play on us. As I started off by saying, you know, this idea of my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols. What that obviously is saying is the institutions you have set up are under the name of Jehovah, and everybody looking at you would say, Ah, that's the church of Jehovah. And oh, by the way, look at what they're doing. Because they are not doing what is right, what God is saying is, You're bringing my name into disrepute. Therefore I'm going to shut down your church. Verse 40. For on my holy mountain the mountain height of Israel declares the Lord God there all the house of Israel all of them shall serve me in the land there I will accept them there I will require your contributions and the choicest of your gift with all your sacred offerings as a pleasing aroma I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered. And I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations. I have no idea how you match that up with the judgment in the wilderness. Because this obviously says all the house of Israel. And previously we have, well, yeah, not all the house of Israel is going in. So... There may be no contradiction whatsoever. In other words, all the house of Israel in this passage may mean everybody that's left. Verse 41 and a half again. And I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations. So the idea here is, among other things, Israel is intended to be a witness. So what God says is when that witness messes up my name, I'm going to be really grumpy with you. But when I get you back and I bring you into the, into the covenant again, then I will be manifest among the nations with you. So verse 42. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give to your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves. And you shall loathe yourselves for all the evil that you have committed. And you shall know that I am the Lord. When I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. What we're talking about at this point is forgiveness. He's going to bring them back, and he's going to forgive them, and he's not going to deal with them according to the evil that they have committed, but he's going to deal with them according to his covenant. 46. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, Set your face toward the south land. Preach against the south, and prophesy against the forest land and the Negev. Say to the forest of the Negev, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will kindle a fire in you, and it shall devour every green tree in you, and every dry tree. The blazing flame shall not be quenched, and all faces from south to north shall be scorched by it. All flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it. It shall not be quenched. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, they are saying to me, Is he not a maker of parables? So this, is he not a maker of parables, is he's babbling. God is not, in fact, going to do what the prophet says that he's going to do. Not sure what's going on in the Southland, the Negev. One of the things that happens to the remnant of Israel is they try and make alliance with Egypt. And that may be what's being talked about here. Otherwise, I'm not sure. Because the next thing that's going to happen in 21 is he's going to take out Jerusalem and I believe Ammon. In 21, we'll get the description of Nebuchadnezzar's second trip down. But one of the things to keep in mind is there is communication between the exiles in Babylon and the remnant in the land. For example, in Jeremiah, we have the letter that Jeremiah sends to the exiles saying, cool it, you're going to be there for 70 years. So one of the things that's going on here is this prophecy that Ezekiel is giving is not something that the exiles in Babylon can do anything with. The exiles in Babylon are already in exile. So all of these prophecies against the remnant are not things that they can take action on. The reason that they're getting them is because they are going to find out what happened. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar is going to take the place apart. They're going to find out, and what God is doing through the prophet is explaining to the remnant why this is happening. So in that sense, that's why this prophecy is given. The other part of that is, and I think we've talked about this before, when the elders come to inquire of Ezekiel, it's like they really still don't understand why they're in exile. We're good Presbyterians or Episcopalians or whatever it was. Why why are you doing this to us? Well, because you're not good Presbyterians or Episcopalians or Baptists or whatever. In fact, you are totally corrupt, but you have fooled yourselves. Because you are maintaining the form of religion, you are sort of of the opinion that All of this that's happening to us is really not just. I mean, we're God's people, and he shouldn't treat us that way. Why are we in exile? So this whole prophecy is by way of telling folks who still don't get it why they're in exile. There are some that do, of course. Daniel does. Daniel's righteous, and he knows what's going on. But most of them don't. They just are really kind of oblivious. They don't understand why they're in exile. So this series of prophecies is by way of explaining to them, A, why they're in exile, and then B, starting in verse 21, it's also going to explain why the rest of Israel is going into exile as well. So we're all the way down to chapter 21. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, Set your face toward Jerusalem, and preach against the sanctuaries. Prophesy against the land of Israel, and say to the land of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, and I will draw my sword from its sheath, and I will cut off from you both righteous and wicked, because I will cut off from you both righteous and wicked. Therefore my sword shall be drawn from its sheath against all flesh from south to north." Now, I don't know if the south to north here refers back to the previous fire in the Negev. It may or may not. I just just don't know. So what he's telling them when he says righteous and wicked, everybody's going this time. There's not going to be anybody left. And of course, that's what Nebuchadnezzar does. Takes everybody, good, bad, and indifferent. Verse 6. As for you, son of man, groan with breaking heart and bitter grief, groan before their eyes. And when they say to you, why do you groan? You shall say, because of the news that is coming. Every heart will melt, and all hands will be feeble. Every spirit will faint, and all knees will be weak as water. Behold, it is coming, and it will be fulfilled, declares the Lord God. Obviously, he is to pantomime, if you will, intense grief and lamentation to the point where they're going to ask him, what's the problem here? And he's going to tell them, this is what the problem is, and this is what's coming, and it's going to happen. Verse 8, and the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord, say, a sword, a sword is sharpened, also polished sharpened for slaughter, polished to flash like lightning. Or shall we rejoice? You have despised the rod, my son, with everything of wood. I'm not sure what the or shall we rejoice means, but what he's saying, and he will say it again, is you despise despised the rod. Going back, for example, to Leviticus 26, one of the things that we have in there is a sequence. When Israel goes into idolatry, God starts doing things like turning off the rain, sending all sorts of Midianites, and those kinds of things. And what he says after each sequence of things is if that doesn't get your attention, then I will increase seven times. And so you have this cascading increase, and in all of the things that he says will happen, the whole idea is to get Israel's attention, get them to repent, get them to turn around, and get them to come back to the covenant. So here in Ezekiel 21, you have despised the rod, my son, with everything of wood. That my son, remember Israel is God's firstborn. So what God is saying is, my son, I have tried to chastise you with a rod. You have despised the rod, which is to say you have not accepted chastisement. And he'll say that again in just a second. But the idea here is, we are at the point now where I have got a sharpened and polished sword drawn, and I'm going to take everybody. And the reason for that is, you would not listen and change your ways when I tried correcting you with the rod. Spare the rod and spoil the child kind of thing. Verse 11. So the sword is given to be polished, that it may be grasped in the hand. It is sharpened and polished to be given into the hand of the slayer. Cry out and wail, son of man, for it is against my people. It is against all the princes of Israel. They are delivered over to the sword with my people. Strike, therefore, upon your thigh, for it will not be a testing. What should it do if you despise the rod, declares the Lord? In verse 13, it will not be for a testing, which is to say this is not something that I'm going to do to see if you're going to be faithful. At this point, this is simply execution. It's not a warning. It's not a test. Nothing like that because you despised the rock. You were given ample opportunity to repent, and you didn't do it. 14. As for you, son of man, prophesy. Clap your hands and let the sword come down twice. Yes, three times. The sword for those to be slain, it is the sword for the great slaughter which surrounds them, that their hearts may melt and many stumble. At all their gates I have given the glittering sword. It is made like lightning. It is taken up for slaughter. Cut sharply to the right. Set yourself to the left. Wherever your face is directed, I also will clap my hands, and I will satisfy my fury. I, the Lord, have spoken. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Verse 18. The word of the Lord came to me again. As for you, son of man... Mark two ways for the sword of the king of Babylon to come; both of them shall come from the same land, and make a signpost. Make it at the head of the way to a city. Make a way for the sword to come to Reba, of the Ammonites, and to Judah, into Jerusalem, the fortified. What we're talking about here is Nebuchadnezzar is coming west with his army. He crosses the Euphrates. Now, at that point, you all remember your geography. You've got two ways south. You've got the King's Highway, which goes down the Jordan Heights on the east bank of the Jordan. And then you've got the one that comes down through Megiddo and Damascus and goes to Jerusalem. So as Nebuchadnezzar crosses the Euphrates at Ribla, what he's going to do is he is going to engage in divination to figure out which way to go first. He's going to go both places. He's going to take out the Ammonites, and he's going to take out Jerusalem. The question is, which way do we go first? This actually happened historically, by the way. So he's going to pause there, and he is going to do something like throw arrows up in the air and where they land, sacrifice an animal and read the intrals, all the pagan ways of making a decision, and the decision is going to come up Jerusalem first. So, I'm all the way down to 21. For the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the way, at the head of the two ways to use divination. He shakes the arrows. He consults the teraphim He looks at the liver. To his right hand comes the divination for Jerusalem. To set battering rams to open the mouth with murder, to lift up the voice with shouting, to set battering rams against the gates, cast up mounds to build siege towers, to them it will seem like a false divination. They have sworn solemn oaths, but he brings their guilt to remembrance that they may be taken. So describing the process of divination that he goes through and what The prophet says it's going to come down to Jerusalem first. And 23, to them it will seem like a false divination. Not sure what that means. Other than Jerusalem will not believe that it's going to fall until it does. Nebuchadnezzar is going to invest the city, besiege it. And the people inside the city are going to say, we can outweigh him. Nothing's going to happen. So that's what it may mean, is that uh, it may seem like a false divination to them. In other words, the fact that uh, Nebuchadnezzar came against Jerusalem, tactical error. But obviously it is not an error. 24. They have sworn solemn oaths. But he brings their guilt to remembrance, that they may be taken. They have sworn solemn oaths. Remember, when Nebuchadnezzar came down his first time, he put Jerusalem and Judah under tribute and under oath. He took an oath from them that they would be a good little vassal state and took some hostages and so forth, but bound them with an oath. The reason he's come back is they have broken that oath and they have rebelled against him. So what this says, they have sworn solemn oaths, but he brings their guilt to remembrance. They swore a solemn oath. They violated their oath. Nebuchadnezzar is going to remind them of it. 24. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have made your guilt to be remembered, in that your transgressions are uncovered, so that in all your deeds your sins appear. Because you have come to remembrance, you shall be taken in hand. And you, O profane, the wicked one, prince of Israel, whose day has come, the time of your final punishment, thus says the Lord God, remove the turban, take off the crown, things shall not remain as they are. Exalt that which is low, and bring low that which is exalted. A ruin, a ruin, a ruin, I will make it. This also shall not be until he comes, the one to whom judgment belongs, and I will give it to him. Several things. Obviously here he's talking about the king who was left behind in Nebuchadnezzar's first trip. And he is going to be humbled because he didn't keep the covenant that he made with Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to take him out. And what God is saying is, I agree with Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm going to remove your crown and your turban. Furthermore, in verse 27, A ruin, a ruin, a ruin, I will make it. This also shall not be until he comes, the one to whom judgment belongs, and I will give it to him. I believe that's talking about Messiah. Israel is going to be flattened. And she's not going to rise again until the time of the Messiah. I haven't given this little riff in a long time. In fact, some of you may never have heard it. Israel has a pattern of exile and return. What happens is Joseph leads into exile. So when Israel goes into exile, Joseph goes first, hence the sale of Joseph. And in this particular case, Ephraim, who is Joseph, was taken out first by the Assyrians. So Joseph leads into exile. Judah leads coming back. When they come out of Egypt, Judah is the one that goes in first. And what happens here is Ephraim, Joseph goes into exile. Then Judah goes into exile. And then what's going to happen is Judah is going to come back at the end of the seventy years under Yazrah and Nehemiah and those kinds of things. And what happens when Judah comes back is you have a messianic event. So the exile of all Israel here is not going to be over during the Babylonian return they are still going to be in exile. And the only ones that are going to come back are Judah and you know parts of Levi and Benjamin. You're going to have a messianic event. The Messiah is going to get born. The Messiah will be crucified and then immediately Israel goes back into exile under the Romans. So the only reason that Judah comes back from exile is to get the Messiah born. And then they turn right around and head back out into exile because their exile is not finished. Which leads me to believe that since Judah has again come into the land, that we are to expect a next messianic event. Judah leads coming back. Judah is back. Judah is not particularly devout. Israel is... By and large, a fairly secular state. So it is not the case that they've come back and the new covenant has been instituted and everybody knows the Lord, and you know, no longer will have people have to teach their neighbor saying know the Lord, because everybody will know him. That's not what's happened here. So the current return that happened in 1948, I'm seeing as a replay of the return from Babylon which led up to the birth of Messiah. And so I think this return is leading up to the return of Messiah. Then we'll do new covenant stuff. That's genealogy. That's what I think. doesn't mean it's true, which is what I think. The comment was in 25, You, O profane wicked one, which is to say the king, is not in fact holy, He's common, and God has no further use for him. Remember up at Riblot, Nebuchadnezzar did all sorts of divination trying to figure out whether he's going to take out Ammon first or Jerusalem first. The lot falls to Jerusalem, so he's going to come that way first, but he has not forgotten Ammon. So, 28. You, son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God concerning the Ammonites and concerning their reproach. Say a sword, a sword is drawn up for the slaughter. It is polished to consume and to flash like lightning. While they see for you false visions, while they divine lies for you to place you on the necks of the profane wicked, whose day has come, the time of their final punishment. So the sword is going to be laid to the necks of the wicked. Verse 30. Return it to its sheath in the place where you were created. In the land of your origin I will judge you, and I will pour out my indignation upon you. I will blow upon you with the fire of my wrath, and I will deliver you into the hands of brutish men, skillful to destroy. You shall be fuel for the fire. Your blood shall be in the midst of the land. You shall be no more remembered, for I the Lord have spoken. That's Obviously, what's going to happen with Nebuchadnezzar as he comes back on his second trip. And of course, it all does happen just like that. I'm going to stop here. We actually have 15 minutes and I could get launched into 22. But I think I won't finish 22. So we'll stop there and entertain comments or questions. sous